our scripture reading is Galatians 6. So this is uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 18. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with which large letters I am writing you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble, for, cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Holly. Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, let me add my welcome to Holly and others this morning to uh, Christ Community. We're glad that you're here at the Brookside campus. My name is Bill Gorman and I serve here at the campus uh, as the campus pastor. And it's good to see each one of you here this morning uh, as we finish our uh, study in the book of Galatians, which we've been going through now for a number of weeks together. We're going to wrap that up this week. And before we uh, dive into looking at this passage that uh, Holly read for us, I'd love to just pause here for a moment, uh, pray, ask God to be uh, at work helping us to understand his word as we begin together. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, thank you that you have given us the gift of faith as not something that is a a blind leap, but rather is the means to knowing you. It's a way to knowledge. And so this morning I pray that as we listen to your word, as we just heard it read, as we listen to it proclaimed and preaching, that we would have eyes and ears of faith to know you, um, that you would give us that uh, gift in fresh ways this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our family returned yesterday afternoon. We got home about five o'clock from a just under 4,000 mile uh, road trip. We spent our GPS calculated for us about 70 hours in the car uh, together over about two weeks of driving and visiting national parks. We uh, visited uh, six national parks along the way. We went through Colorado and Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, 
now, of course, when you're heading out west and you're going to all those amazing places, uh, you do have to, from this part of the country at least, drive through uh, Kansas, western Kansas, um, which doesn't have quite the same majesty of the Rocky Mountains or the, the Red Rocks of Utah, but it does have, I mean, if you've driven through the Flint Hills, or the place, it does have its own beauty and charm. But one of the things that you notice as you drive through those miles and miles of, of farmland in a place like western Kansas or Nebraska is that along the highways, sometimes you see uh, fields that are marked with little signs like, like these. And actually, sorry, I, I think I have a couple pictures. Did, uh, did you put those up there, Thomas? I'm sorry if I missed that. Yeah, so this was us on vacation. Uh, this is where Bryce Canyon uh, National Park here, and I got one more. Um, this is us tucked into a little rock at Capitol Reef uh, National Park there in Utah. So, um, yeah, but as you're going along, in driving out west to go to these beautiful places, you pass through a lot of fields. And this is, I got another picture here, um, of you'll see these signs occasionally along the highway. And, and these fields that are marked with these signs, they're, they're called demonstration plots. And the, the signs indicate that a particular sort of seed or fertilizer is, is being used. And they're placed near roads and railroads as a way of showing uh, what this kind of particular seed or fertilizer can do. It's a way of saying, look, see how this, this particular plot, this little area is, is flourishing. Notice how green and full of life these particular plants are. Uh, demonstration plots, they give others a sense of what could be. This is what your field could look like if you used this product, this seed. It's a, it's a glimpse of a different sort of way of farming or crop production. And theologian Craig Van Gelder uses this idea of a demonstration plot as a metaphor for what the local church should be. That the local church should be a demonstration plot for the seeds of the gospel in a community. That the local church should be a place where a new sort of life is being lived out in front of our neighbors and coworkers, our family and friends. Now, of course, the church doesn't do this perfectly. It, it doesn't always happen exactly that way, which is actually why Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatia, because they were, they were strained from this. They weren't living this life out. So he's writing to encourage them and also us here in Kansas City today to be the kind of demonstration plot that God has designed us to be. And maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you grew up uh, going to church, but you've kind of stepped away from that. And, and maybe you're just here with family or a friend today. Or, or maybe you would consider yourself a Christian, but you've had some really bad experiences in church. Um, and you're just starting to come back and explore again. Whatever the case may be, whatever your story is along those lines, I want to say I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Thanks for being with us for giving this a try with us this morning. And, and I hope that you will be encouraged as you see what Christian community can be as we look at this passage this morning. And I just want to say right from the beginning, Christ community isn't a perfect church. We, we do not claim to be a perfect church. We don't have it all figured out. Uh, there are lots of places where we need to grow. Where we're still trying to live into these things more fully. And so I hope you sense that effort this morning that we are trying to become the kind of place that Paul describes in Galatians chapter 6. But we're not there yet. And as we come to this final message in the book of Galatians, Paul gives us a picture of what this kind of demonstration plot of the local church should look like. 
And all throughout the letter of Galatians, the Apostle Paul, who was an early leader of the church, he planted a number of churches around the first century Roman Empire. And he's writing to a group of churches in this area called Galatia. And and they had begun to stray from the gospel. They had begun to think that the way to find life and hope was to adopt Jewish cultural practices to try to keep the Jewish law. That's why in that uh, passage that Holly read for us, you get this idea of circumcision and uncircumcision. They really were obsessed about the, keeping the Jewish sort of regulations and law and looking to that to find their acceptance before God rather than looking to Jesus and putting their faith in him. They weren't discounting Jesus, but they were saying you need Jesus plus this Jewish law and regulation. They were looking to their performance rather than to Christ and his finished work, what he had done for them. There are people saying that if you really want to be a Christian, then you also need to become a Jew first or also. We don't have a lot of people necessarily saying that exact same thing today. But we still do that kind of Jesus plus thing today. So that if you really want to be a Christian, you need to follow Jesus, but you also need to do some, some sort of other thing. You need to live in this sort of area or adopt this kind of dress or whatever it might be. And Paul's argument throughout the letter is that the gospel, of which there is no other, actually creates a new multi-ethnic community that is the local church that's transformed by the life of the Spirit. Because throughout this letter, Paul's been making a sharp distinction between what's possible by trying to keep the law and what's possible through the Spirit. What's possible by trying to keep the law and what's possible through the Spirit. And he says over and over again in this letter that we cannot keep the law. But that's not because there's something wrong with the law. It's because that there's something wrong with us. The law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law, Paul says, but it cannot produce the ability to obey. Right? So imagine you know, that you go to the, the doctor and they give you an exercise regimen. There's nothing wrong with the exercise regimen, but that list of, of instructions on how to exercise can't produce within you the desire to do it. That has to come from somewhere else. And that's Paul's point. There's nothing wrong with the instructions. There's nothing wrong with the law, but it can't produce the ability to obey. Only faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. And that comes through faith, not through adherence to the law. And so this morning, as we continue into chapter 6, the last part of Galatians, we get a glimpse of what a community looks like. When it has Jesus as its king and love as their only law. Because only one kind of law can make a community like this. It's the law of love, the law of Christ. In these verses, Paul describes what the demonstration plot of the local church looks like. When you have a group of people who are walking by the Spirit, a group of people who are putting their confidence and their hope in Jesus alone, what do you get Because that's Paul's point here is that the kingdom of God, which Jesus came to bring, claimed that he was bringing, this kingdom of God idea, this reign of God in the world, Paul says that that kingdom reality, this Jesus reign reality, is actually breaking into the present reality right now. It is a future thing that's coming, but it's also, in a sense, it's coming back from the future into the present through the local church 
And what matters in his kingdom is not your ethnic identity, not whether you've been circumcised or not, but what matters in this community is faith working itself out in love. What matters in this community is the law of Christ. Okay, so what does it look like? What does a community look like where Jesus is king, where his reign is acknowledged, where he is seen as supreme, where Jesus is king, and the law is love? What does that kind of a community look like? What sort of practices and postures characterize the demonstration part of the local church? Well, in chapter 6, Paul lists a bunch of different things that mark the community of Jesus. And many characteristics of the community where Jesus, many of the characteristics of the community where Jesus is king and the law is love. And rather than trying to group those into sort of two or three main headings, which is often what we do, you know, pastors would like to have three points in the sermon. I'm not going to do that this morning. So rather than having two or three main points where I try to group all those different things together, we're just going to look at them one by one. This is going to be like an eight-point sermon, but don't worry, the points are short, okay? Um, We're just going to walk through each one of them one by one. What would it look like? What's Paul's description of a community of people who have Jesus as their king and law and love as their law? What would that look like? What would it look like if a group of people said that, that we are going to honor Jesus as king with all that we have? What would it look like if if a group of people said that with all of our strength, all of our ability, we are going to seek to fulfill the law of Christ, which is faith working itself out through love, loving God and loving our neighbor. That's what we're going to see in these verses. So first, a community where Jesus is king and love is the law is one where people are restored. It's one where people are restored. This is the first thing we see in verse 1. Listen to this verse in verse 1 in in the Christian Standard Bible translation. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore. Restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted. Isn't that incredible? The church, I think, so often has had a reputation in the broader culture of being a place where sinners are condemned. But Paul envisions the local church as a place where people who are overtaken in any wrongdoing are restored. The the, the church is a place of restoration for, for people who have been overcome with sin and brokenness. That's this language of overtaken. It comes from the picture of of being, if you look this up in the original language, of being chased down, of being tackled by surprise, right? So you can imagine if you're a football fan watching a a wide receiver, you know, running down the field and all of a sudden he's just tackled from behind and slammed to the ground. That's that's the picture that you get in the the original language of of an animal attacking you from behind and slamming you to the ground. Overtaken. Actually, in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, chapter 4, you get a description of sin crouching like an animal. Paul uses, or God uses this metaphor of sin is crouching like an animal, waiting to overtake you, to overcome you. And Paul says that this will happen to all of us in our life. There are moments in our lives where we will be overtaken by sin. 
that we will be tackled by, that, that we, and then we actually will need a community of people to restore us, to help us. The church is not a place where sinners are condemned for their brokenness. The church is a place where they're restored. The church is to be a, sort of like a, a body shop for a car that's been in an accident where, where brokenness and damage is restored to wholeness and beauty and functionality and all that it was meant to be. That's what the, that language of restore that Paul uses in this text, that's what it's about. It's a picture of almost what you would take a, an old broken down vehicle and restore it to its full, beautiful functionality. That's the idea of restoration, taking something old and broken and bringing it to new life. That's the kind of place that the local church is to be, I, I, that we want to be as a, as a campus, as the Brookside Campus of Christ Community, a place where those who are overcome are restored. Restored with gentleness, lovingly. Restored by those who are walking in the Spirit, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. That's what what Paul means when he says those who are spiritual in this text. He isn't talking about some kind of special category of, of Christians. Like you have like the normal Christians, there's kind of your average Christians, then you have the spiritual. Those are the ones who are doing the restoration. No, Paul's point is that all Christians have the Spirit, that they are living the life of the Spirit, that those are the spiritual. Though he's simply talking about those who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's often been said that the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. The local church isn't a place where you come to admire these people who have attained some level of perfection. The church is a place where we come to be restored and healed. May we be a place where people are restored so next we see that the church is a place where burdens are carried. So Paul writes next, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We sang a song at the beginning of the service that touches on those themes of coming to Jesus to find rest that he will bear our burdens. And we, the local church, are part of that. That the community of the local church is where Jesus is king, where, where the law is love, is a place where people carry one another's burdens. But whether those burdens are, are physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, we are a place where we help one another in all dimensions of life. Where we know one another well enough to understand what our needs are. Where we're proactive in thinking about how can we help one another, lighten the load. Following Jesus' example and so fulfilling the law of Christ, which is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So let me ask you, this morning, do you feel burdened? by anything? Do you feel weighed down by, by fear or anxiety? By unemployment or fertility? By loneliness? Do you feel by burdened by strife and, and struggles in your relationships, in your family, in your friendships, in, in your marriage? If you feel burdened this morning, then you're in the right place. You've come to the right place this morning. Let us, as your church family, bear your burdens with you. 
That's what it means, Paul says, for us to fulfill the law of Christ. The law of love is to carry one another's burdens, to to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of one another, to, to carry these burdens together. If we love God supremely and our neighbor sacrificially by the power of the Spirit, we will fulfill and obey the law. That's, that's Paul's whole point. That there's all this Jewish regulation that if you just do the simple but not easy thing of loving God supremely and loving your neighbor sacrificially, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let us be a place where burdens are carried, where the weary are given rest, where the lonely find belonging, where the desperate find hope. Okay, so a community where Jesus is king and the law is love. People are restored, burdens are carried, and also egos are deflated. You see, every one of us has the tendency to become conceited, to think too highly of ourselves, to compare ourselves with others. We, we all tend in that direction. We always are tending to, to evaluate ourselves. Am I, am I attractive or more or less attractive compared to that person? Have I advanced more or less than that person in my career? How is my family, what are my kids, how are they doing compared to this family? Which of my friends are are married and single, and where do I fall in the midst of that? And and Paul's point in these verses 3 through 5 is that a community that's ruled by Jesus and governed by the law of love is one where we understand ourselves rightly. We don't have too high an opinion or too low an opinion of ourselves. And Eugene Peterson, he he captures this so well in his paraphrase, the message. Let me just read verses four and five for you in his paraphrase. He writes this. He says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't, Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Christ community, you serve an audience of one. You have one king, Jesus. So stop comparing yourself to to others and focus instead on what God has called you to do, what he's called you to be. So many problems in the life of the church, not to mention in the workplace, in your home, would be solved if we simply did this. It would erase so much jealousy and envy and unhealthy competition. Next, Paul adds that the local church is a place where teachers of the word, pastors, Teaches the word. Those whose vocational calling is in pastoring teachers, the local church is a place where those people are supported and cared for. Now look at what he writes. Again, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase is really helpful here. He says, be very sure now, you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. And let me just say, as I was reflecting on this particular part of the passage, that I I realized that actually this Sunday, today, this first Sunday in June, marks 10 years of me serving on the pastoral staff at Christ Community in one way or another. It was the very first Sunday in June 2008 that I joined the pastoral staff as a pastoral resident, one of our 
programs for training and equipping pastors. I just finished seminary. I arrived in Kansas City, and the first Sunday of June 2008 was my first Sunday as a pastor, as a real pastor. And from day one until now, over this 10 years, this local church has gone above and beyond time and again to love and support me and our other pastors so very well. Thank you so much for that. Not every pastor can say that. I know many pastors can say that, but I can say that without reservation that this congregation has loved and cared for and served us as your pastors so well. My family loves this place. We feel incredibly loved and cared for and supported by you. So thank you for that. So this kind of community is one where people are restored. Burdens are carried. Egos are deflated. Teachers are supported. And also, another mark of this community is that life is planted in this community. And Paul picks up an agricultural metaphor, that actually one that Jesus uses often, Uh, in his teaching, of seeds and sowing here, planting and harvesting. And Paul warns here, just as we saw the last two weeks, that there are two ways that we can walk. We can walk in the flesh or in the spirit. And so here Paul points out that you can sow in the spirit or you can sow in the flesh. You can put seeds in the ground in the flesh, you can put seeds in the ground in the spirit. And, And the sobering thing in this text is that Paul tells us to not be deceived He says, you cannot mock God. He sees all. He knows where you're sowing, where you're investing. And if we consistently make choices that are selfish, if we consistently choose ourselves over others, ourselves over God, that we will utterly ruin our lives. Just as a car that's designed to run on gasoline will just be utterly destroyed if you put anything else into the tank. We are designed to run on serving others, on being outwardly focused on God and those who he's put into our lives. But when we choose ourselves over others, it's like pouring Kool-Aid into the gas tank of your car. The moment that you start it, it's just going to destroy the engine. In a life of self-focus over time, constantly bending more and more in on ourselves will destroy us. It will ruin us. But this community, the local church, constantly plants life. It's a community that sows and reaps in the spirit, and it reaps eternal life. Life that, that yes, the life that lasts forever in the new heavens and new earth. When Paul talks about eternal life, yes, he has something future in mind. But it also isn't only future. It's a life that begins now. A life that begins here and now. A life of sacrificial love for others. That's what we have been freed for. That's what we've been set freed for in the gospel. It's a community that sows that plants eternal life, that begins here and now. Uh, Next we see that the local church is a place where good is done, both for us in the local church as well as for all. The local church is a place where good is done. Look at verses uh, 9 and 10. Paul writes, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work 
for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. A community where Jesus is king and love is the law is a community that's constantly asking the question, how can we do good for our neighborhood and our city? How can we make this place an incredible place to live? Our local churches ought to be constantly excited by the prospect of what new, creative, unexpected, beautiful thing that we could do for our neighborhood that would make it a better place to live, a better place to learn and work and play. And I want to let you in on a secret here too, that so often that kind of creative effort doesn't necessarily happen here at church on Sunday morning when we're all gathered together as a group, but it happens in and through the work that you do every day. As you make the city a better place to live and work and learn and play through the work that you do. God is working through you in that to make this city a great place to live. But two things about that. First, it requires a lot of perseverance. Because doing that sort of good, true, kind of other-centered, creative, beautiful good in your city, in your workplace, in your home, that takes a lot of work. It's not easy doesn't come naturally. There's a lot of thorns, a lot of sweat in the way. So Paul reminds us to not get tired of doing good because doing good is exhausting. I just even want to free you with that reality this morning that if you find yourself doing good, if you find yourself trying to accomplish good things in God's power for God's work and you feel tired, that's, that's not necessarily a sign you're doing it wrong. It might be a sign that you're actually doing the right kinds of things because Paul actually is warning you, don't get tired, don't, don't give up in doing this because it's hard work. That's why we need regular seasons of, of rest to restore us, but the work that God called us to is hard. It's exhausting. So persevere, don't give up. And also second, uh, this is the second thing, that we have to do this for one another First. You notice that? Paul says, do good for one another and also for all. You see, we will never creatively love our neighborhood if we aren't creatively and tirelessly loving and doing good for one another in the household of faith first. The local church is a place where we train, where we practice what it is to to live selflessly. So that then we can go out into our, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our homes, our communities and live a life of creative selflessness for our community. Okay, so a community where Jesus is king and love is the law is a community where people are restored, where burdens are carried, egos are deflated, teachers are supported, life is planted, good is done, and it is also a place where new creation is tasted. And I'm getting this from 615, verse 615, where Paul writes, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but new creation." And you can trace the plot line of the Bible. If you want to say, what is the story of the Bible? What, how do, not just one particular book or one particular part of the Bible, but the whole story of the Bible. If you want to trace the plot line of the Bible, you, one of the ways that you can do that is through these four movements of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. What ought to be, what is, Now, in light of sin, what can be in light of the redemption, the plan that Jesus has begun from 
the moment of even before creation to restore his people, and, and new creation, what will be one day. And this language of new creation that Paul uses here points to a time when God will restore all things and bring them to the fullness of what they were always meant to be. But what's truly amazing to me is that individuals who have been made new by the life of the Spirit, Paul actually calls them new creations now. So so if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've been made alive in the Spirit, Paul says you are actually a part of that new creation reality that's coming in the future right here and right now. You're part of the, of the future new creation. Come into the present right here and right now. If you are a Christian, your life lived in the Spirit here and now is a demonstration plot, a foretaste, a sample of what new creation reality, which will one day come when Jesus returns and restores all things. That's the kind of community that's created when Jesus is king. When we keep in step with the Spirit, when, when we fulfill the law of Christ, don't you want to be a part of a community like that? Don't you want to be part of helping to create and cultivate a community like that here? And yes, it's hard work. Yes, it's going to be frustrating. Frustrating because we still do so to the flesh. We're still in that process of being restored. But, but let's not give up in this, Okay. Let's, let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's not grow weary in keeping in step with the Spirit, but by God's power become the kind of place, a demonstration plot where, where life with Jesus as King is displayed to the world. And what would it look like if we became that kind of community as a church? How would our work be different? Both our, our paid work and our unpaid work, which we all do lots of, Right? where we spend the majority of our lives working in our homes, working to keep our yards kept, working in our offices, in our schools. How would our work be different? We would begin to see our work as not primarily about compensation, but about contribution. We'd see our work from doing the dishes to building a spreadsheet to, to doing our homework as about contribution to others. We begin to see parenting not not primarily as behavior modification, just getting our kids to behave. We we begin to see that work as as actually disciple-making, helping our children to follow Jesus. We would see our work and our money as gifts to be used for others rather than identities to be cultivated or means of merely attaining comfort and security for ourselves. How would our relationships be different if we lived in this kind of a community? We'd have a willingness to be inconvenienced so that we could help others. We'd be willing to inconvenience ourselves to help others carry their burdens. We'd be willing to confront those who have been overtaken by sin and and gentleness and love. We'd be willing to have hard conversations with gentleness and patience. We, We would be free from having to always compare ourselves to others, free from having to to be right, to win arguments, we'd be willing to be wronged. How, how would our neighborhoods be different? 
and I'm really convicted here, do, do we as a church really see our flourishing as a, as a local church community, our flourishing, our peace is inextricably linked to the flourishing of the broader community? How might, might gospel hospitality in our neighborhoods bring people into this local church family? Are our homes, our apartments, our dorms, are they demonstration plots for this kind of life? When you pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I often try to even think in concentric circles as I pray that, like, Lord, would your kingdom come, your will be done in my life? Would your kingdom come, your will be done in, in, in our home, in our family? on our block, in, in our local church, in our city, in our country? Is your home, your apartment, your dorm, is it a demonstration plot for what it looks like in the kingdom of God when Jesus is king? And let me tell you, friends, there's only one way to get there. And that is to make Christ and his cross our only boast Paul writes in verse 14, I say this to the end, Paul writes in verse 13, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. And Pastor Tim Keller points out that the background for this idea of boasting comes from a military context. I never thought much about the background of boasting. We talk about boasting. Where does the idea of boasting comes from? Well, a boast was a, was a declaration that you had what it took to win the battle. A general would, would give a boast to the troops before they would go into the battle. We have the horses, the cannons, the equipment that are better than the enemy, so we will win. That's the boast. We've got what it takes. But Paul says the only thing that he will ever boast in is the cross. Which, which maybe doesn't seem that shocking to us today because we see crosses all over the place in our cultural context. They're commonplace. But that would have been scandalizing in a culture where the cross was seen only as an instrument of torture, shame, defeat, and death. But Jesus takes the very instrument of death and by giving himself over to it, transforms it into the very means of life. Only the cross makes this kind of community possible. Only the cross makes possible a new multi-ethnic family full of faith in Jesus, loving God and loving others in the power of the Spirit. No law can ever create this kind of community except for the law of sacrificial love which Jesus has given for us apart from which there is no hope. Friends, there is no other gospel. There is no other good news. There is no other life except for the ones that is found in Jesus. And there is no other table except the Lord's table where we boast in the cross alone and taste new creation together. Part of what we do together each and every week as a church family when we gather here to declare that Jesus is king, that he is reigning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper communion as a part of reminding us of the law of sacrificial love, 
of our only boast that is in the cross of Jesus alone. So we're going to prepare now to do that together. To come to the Lord's table, to receive communion, to taste and touch the good news of the gospel. The good news that creates the kind of community where Jesus is king and the only law is love. So let me just give you a few instructions about how we do that together. So as a, a church family, um, we do this together with uh, four communion stations around the room. There's two in the back, and then there's two here in the front. And this communion station in the back on this side of the room has gluten-free communion elements. So if you need gluten-free uh, communion elements, you can make your way uh, to that station. Otherwise, just make your way to the station that's nearest to you. Um, if you kind of come out through the sides of your aisles and then make your way back through kind of the center of your aisles. That sort of helps the flow. And also when you gather, um, come in groups of six or seven or eight people. Gather around that server, take the, the bread, and then dip it into the juice. And when everyone in your group's done that, then partake together of the bread and the juice.